0: On our way through our series about being able to trust the Bible, we've covered a few different things about why the books of the Bible are the books that we use, and uh, different things throughout history. Today we started talking about whether or not it's inspired by God, because if it's not inspired by God, it's just a bunch of really good reading. We talked about how the scripture says that it was God-breathed. And we talked about the unity of the Bible, how over 1,600 years and 40 generations, and 40 authors from kings to peasants to prisoners, we have complete and utter unity. We talked about how impossible it was going to be to get that unity anywhere else. Then we talked about scientific knowledge that was in the Bible long before we had the science to back it up. Things like the earth being round and the currents of the seas, springs of the seas, things that, and the day and age it was written down, could have only possibly came from Deity. We left off with the idea of fulfilled prophecies in the Bible, and that's one of the things that really sets it aside. There are lots and lots of prophecies in the Bible, and most of them have already been fulfilled, and not just kind of fulfilled, but fulfilled to the exact letter the Bible says. If you look at the nature of this argument, The prophecies foretold events in detail that were beyond the scope of human speculation. In other words, you couldn't just make it all up. You might get lucky on one or two points, but you're not going to get it all right making it up. So how did the writers or speakers do it? How did they get it exactly right? Well, if you ask the writers, they'll tell you it's because God told them and God already knows. God told them and God declared that such evidence was a proof of his existence and the fact that he was superior over men and all the false gods. In Isaiah 4121 21-24, it says, Produce your cause, saith the Lord, bring forth your strong season, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth, and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them. And know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. uh, Yea, do good or do evil, what we may be dismayed, and behold it together. Behold ye are of nothing, and your work of naught, on a vision is he that chooses you. That goes with Isaiah forty two, eight and nine. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they they spring forth, I tell you of them. That's something only God can accurately do, more than the occasional lucky draw. Isaiah 46, 8-11 says, Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. And there is none else, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the men that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken of it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. And there are many other examples of scriptures on grander and lesser scales where the Bible says this is how it's going to happen, and lo and behold, that's exactly how it goes down. Uh, just a few examples. You've got the fall of Babylon, written 200 years before it occurred, Isaiah 13:17 through 22. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver as, as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their bowls also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare the children. In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inherited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. But the beast of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of desolate creatures. And owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there. And the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant places. And her time is near to come, and her days shall not be prolonged. And lo and behold, 200 years after that's written, that's exactly what goes down. You have the fall of Egypt, that it would be destroyed more by civil war than by outside forces. Isaiah 19, 1-4 The burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud, and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence. And the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight every one against his brother, and every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the council thereof. And they shall seek to the idols, and to the charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards, and the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of the cruel Lord. And a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord. The Lord of hosts. And again, exactly as it is said by the Lord, that's how it goes down. You have the fall of Nineveh with its desolation. Zephaniah 2 13 through 15. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria and will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry and dry like a wilderness. And flocks shall lie down in the midst of her, and the beast of the nations, both the Former end, and the and the bittern shall lodge in the upper lint, lintels of it. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be in the thresholds. For he shall uncover the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly and said in her heart. I am, and there is none besides me. How has she become desolate? Uh, a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down and. Every one that passes by her shall hiss and wag his head. Just like, again, the fall of Tyre, with its becoming a place for spreading of dust, in Ezekiel 26, 1 through 5. And it came to pass in the eleventh year and the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The Son of Man, because that Tyre said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken. That was the gates of the people she has turned unto me. I shall replenish now, she has laid waste. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Tyrus, and I will cause many nations to come up against thee, and the sea causeth his waves to come up, and they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus, and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her, and make her like the tops of a rock, it shall be a place for the spreading of nuts in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken it, saith the Lord God, and it shall become a spoil to the nations. And there are many other prophecies along the way that weren't quite, this nation is going to have a big problem, like the prophecies concerning Christ. Luke 24, 44-45 And he said unto them, These are the words which I speak unto you while I will be yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophecies and in the Psalms concerning me then open he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures going all the way back into the Torah the first few books of the Bible you have scripture after scripture after scripture with prophecy pertaining to Christ and anybody else a long history that they said maybe he could have been well none of them filled all them scriptures except for Christ Every prophecy about him, he fulfilled. It's been stated that there are 332 prophecies fulfilled in Christ. I haven't gone through to count them and see if that number is right or not, but that's a lot, even if he's off by 4 or 5. The mathematical probability that all could be fulfilled in one person by accident is like 84 times 10 to the 123rd power. I'm not good enough in math to tell you what that number looks like, but it's huge. And that's just one of many things that can be used to say, okay, there's got to be something extra special about our scriptures, above and beyond the fact that it's a really good read. There are prophecies by Christ, such as the destruction of Jerusalem. In Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, he said it was going to happen, and in 70 AD it did. Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem. The study that we're doing here barely touches the hem of the garment. We could probably do weeks and weeks and weeks of studies on why Scripture must be divine. There have been volumes written on the subject, but the idea today was just to kind of summarize some of the evidence so we have a little bit of more fuel than we had before. The unity of the Bible in and of itself is enough to at least make somebody scratch their head. The scientific knowledge written in the Bible, thousands of years before we had scientific knowledge necessary to prove or disprove them, is evidence all by itself. There's also subjective uh, subjective evidence of inspiration that comes from simply reading and heeding the Bible. Things that the Bible said would happen and they did. Then there's things like Romans 10:17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and John 7:16 7, through 17. Where Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but it is his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. The Bible says that if you're a Bible-abiding Christian, you will know if this doctrine is correct or not. And that goes into other scriptures that talk about receiving the Spirit, about being a Christian, and about knowing assuredly that your salvation is true. And many other scriptures we could delve into and extend this lesson if we wanted to. I'm sure there are some who question whether any can understand the Bible by simply reading it. And I'm gonna tell you those people haven't read it. Because if you think the Bible's too hard to understand, either you didn't read it or you read some wacky version, because we got a few of those out there. That's the question we're actually gonna address next week, whether or not the Bible's a hard read or not. But I say even without doing a whole lesson on it. Somebody thinks the Bible's hard to understand, they didn't pick up a good Bible or read it. We're going to offer an invitation like we always do when we're together. The invitation's good for lots of reasons, but at the end of the day, it's a way for you to come to your family and say, "I need a hand." And then we can go to the Lord and say, "Lord, our brother or sister needs a hand." And we can all work together toward a better end. We're going to have the invitation now as we all sing together.